I still have hard copies of the. No, no. That would be nice. <laughs> yep. All right. So today we will see if we get through the, as Paul Harvey would say, and the rest of the story. <laughs> That's where we are at today, Revelation chapter 21. We covered down through, seems like we quickly covered down through verse 22 or 23 last week, but I'm going to go back and read Revelation chapter 21, um, then we'll kind of pick up where we're at there, if some questions come up, we'll try to answer the questions, uh, this is, yet again, Revelation is fun when you try to read the commentators, and uh, the commentators can't agree with each other, I mean, it's a thing, so there, there are a few things there that we will look at. Before we jump in, let's go ahead and open up with a word of prayer and then jump into the Bible reading. Father, we thank you for your grace and for your mercy, and uh, I thank you as I've been trying to focus on reading the rest of the story, and these two chapters here in the book of Revelation along with the scriptures that relate to them. I'm afraid, Lord, that we uh, have a tendency to we either have a tendency to forget them when we should be reading them all the time or we have a tendency to fantasize with human ideas and we get outside of what your word says. Father, speak to us today. You've given us the revelation. We need an understanding of the revelation that you have given us. We need to understand just how much and how important it is for us to think about this every day as we live in a world that is sin stained and filled with darkness you've got a city of light prepared for us Father I pray that you would stir our hearts to yearn for and long for the bride who is adorned for a husband coming out of heaven more than we yearn for the things of this world as long as you've got us in these bodies I know Lord there will be a battle there will be a constant pull between what this body wants and what we want spiritually to be with you it's coming a day, though, when we'll be transformed and no longer will our body desire the dirt. There's coming a day that our bodies will desire you above all else. I long for that day, Lord. Now, I pray as we get here into these chapters, the last God 
here. Oh, stir our hearts. Stir us up and give us an appetite for you, Lord. An appetite that cannot be satisfied this side of the book of Revelation. Father, once again, let us hold to your promise that as we read this book that we will be blessed by you. So, Father, let your blessing dwell here in this place, not because of who is reading, but because of what we're reading, and that is your word, your promise. Your promise to us of this place that you have gone to prepare for us. Jesus, make this real and alive and exciting to our hearts. In the name of Jesus, Father, I pray. Revelation 21, now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall no more, there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with the fire and brimstone which is the second death then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me saying come I will show you the bride the lamb's wife and he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city the holy Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God Having the glory of God, her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Also, she had a great and high wall with twelve gates and twelve angels at the gates, and names written on them, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. Now the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve Apostles of the Lamb. He who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. Then he measured its wall, 140 cubits, according to the measure of a man that is of an angel. So 144 is, in it, don't we say squared? 12 times 12. 
The constructions of its wall was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth and the twelfth amethyst. Twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. We kind of left off last week, and we talked about the gates are made out of a single what? Pearl. All the rest of these things have been stones. What was significant about the fact that the gates are made out of pearl? From a Jewish mindset, uh, what has suddenly changed? We've gone from the jewels that were in the breastplate of the high priest representing the 12 tribes of Israel. The 12 names were on the 12, and I'm going to jump back and get into this thing of 12. We've made a whole lot about seven and we talk about seven as perfection, but if you just noticed, we just read a whole bunch of twelves. Caught my attention as I was going back through. Wait a minute. <laughs> Maybe we need to pay attention to some twelves as well as some sevens. But the fact of the pearl is, where do you get a pearl? Do you dig it out of the ground? Where do you get it? An oyster. Well, if you go back to Leviticus, uh, is an oyster kosher? An oyster is not kosher at all, so who eats oysters? Gentiles, right. So notice that we all of a sudden have this shift from being focused on Israel to when we look at the gates of this city. Now we have something speaking to the Gentiles, and I missed that until just recently, and I'm going through this thing, and I went, whoa. There is a shift, there is a transfer saying all of this stuff was focused on Israel, but the Gentiles are going to be included in the heavenly Jerusalem. Now, we, we all took that for granted. But remember, this book was written to first century Christians who were predominantly Jewish, and Gentiles were coming into the church, and all of the history has been Jewish, and now God goes, hey, Guys, I hadn't forgot y'all either. Y'all are here. In fact, I'm going to make the gates a Gentile thing that the Jews would have said, that's unkosher, but the Jews have to pass through this unkosher gate in their mindset. And I go back to what Jesus was saying. He said, hey, guys, you can't pour new wine into old wineskins. This is, what did we read the very first line? We miss it. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. It's going to pass away. I mean, we, we got the millennial reign. We're still going to mix some of the millennial reign, but that was chapter 20. We are into a new heavens and a new earth. Uh, and it's amazing. And the first key that for me we get is this 12 gates of pearl. Each individual gate is of one pearl in the street of the city. That has to be some more of an oyster. <laughs> I don't know the fact that he gets it from an oyster or he just speaks it into existence. 
but we see the significance. And then we get down to this part in verse 22. But I saw no temple in it. Again, the temple has been absolutely essential for Judaism. Somebody in the last week was talking, and they asked me something. I don't remember how the conversation got around to this, but they asked me something about um, Jewish. And I said, well, I could have converted to Judaism. And they said, what are you talking about? I said, there's no temple. Because, I mean, you, you for, what, almost 2,000 years, the Jews have struggled with this and have had to change their orthodoxy because there is no temple. They've kind of had to go, uh-oh, I mean, it should be a real clear point. It ain't. But in the new heavens and the new earth, there is no temple. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Um. What was the purpose of the temple? What did they call it before it was a temple? And we've already read that here, I believe. Yet, verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, or humanity, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. I see clay and... What are you going to say? God's dwelling place where is God's dwelling place on earth now in the believers now flip that around in the new heavens and the new earth where will our dwelling place be in God see we say with and we forget in we forget just how intimate this is going to be where God has been in us and with us, and we will be with him and in him, and he will be with us and in us, and this is the promise. So I know, I never forget God is always a who. So I, I don't diminish that at all. But God is what? I break it down to three simple things, and you'll hear me go back to it over and over and over. God is life. God is light and God is love. We love will dwell with us and we will dwell in love. Perfect love. We light will dwell with us and we will dwell in light. I mean there's the whole verse, you know, about he is in the light unapproachable light, but we talk about when there's the song we sing, what is the song the uh marvelous not marvelous like DC talk in the light. And the, the, the whole song, I mean, sometimes if we're not reading chapter 21 and ch chapter 22 of Revelations, we can't even understand a lot of the music we sing. A lot of the musicians have understood this and are making the point out of this that we're going to dwell in the light and the light in us imperfectly. Can you imagine? I look around the room and there's shadows everywhere. Can you imagine dwelling in light and light dwelling in this room so that there were no shadows? It's something we can't even, we can kind of think, but if you ever tried to do it, I'm, I'm kind of one of those crazy guys. I've tried to make a small area with no shadows. I can't do it because everything here casts a shadow. But there, that's when we're talking about the whole temple, and I've heard people say, well, John is saying that the, the gold is so pure because the purest thing that he knew was glass. 
But the more I read, the more I'm convinced is not only it's gold, uh, gold in color. So one of the things when we're talking about gold and we're talking about all of these gems I can barely pronounce, I could go through, and if you look in the book we started at, Pastor Chuck's got a breakdown. If you want me to, we can flip over to it. And he goes through a quick thing about the different colors and what colors each gem is. And I went, wait a minute, you're talking about the light spectrum. So the whole point, and I, it's been polluted, and I would almost say rainbow, but a rainbow is supposed to be the whole light spectrum. But when John is seeing this come down out of heaven, he's not only seeing light that is blinding, but he is seeing the whole spectrum of light. So light in perfection. <laughs> Again, he, he is, and we have got to think beyond what our gray matter can fold into now. I like what Chuck Missler, if you get his, he's got a good section talking about because Chuck Missler's making the point uh, this New Jerusalem coming down isn't just in three dimensions, it's in all the dimensions. So you, you've got something that we can't even lay out, and that means, and here's the deal, that's our home. <laughs> and that's something we, uh, that's the place that Jesus has gone to prepare for us, and it's headed this way, I believe that. And it has been. We're going to talk as we get into 22 about quickly. Yes. Yes. In in the city. Right. And in the light too. Right. That's why the roads are clear. That's why the walls are jasper, which was a clear stone. So that's one of the, the, the city is constructed in a way that, remember, you just said the other thing, and we read it here, and in Greek, it doesn't, but if you go back to the Hebrew of Lord God Almighty, you have Adonai El Shaddai, meaning the Lord who is the source of all things. So John is going back trying to say we are going to be present with the source of all things and the source of all things in the new heaven and the new earth isn't going to be the sun. It, you know, it's not going to be all of the, in this new heaven and new earth that is coming. The Lord is going to be the source of everything. Uh, that's where we get to verse 23. The city had no need of sun or of moon to shine in it. For the glory of God illuminated it. The Shekinah glory of God is the illumination. The Lamb is its light. Uh, if you don't mind, I'd like to share a note from Meyer here. Um, about 16 and 17, about the size of yeah. Right. And he said, uh, including height with a wall 72 yards thick, thick. That's 
overwhelming. He didn't give the amount of room. So I, I have heard it. So somewhere I read. An, right, but per person. So so somewhere I read a number like that, and it was 20 billion or 30 billion people with 75 acres each. And so. Right. You know, and it's not, it's more like Mancio, the Roman Mancio or Latin, which implies it's like a plantation. Yep. Not just a, a big house, you know what I'm saying? A mansion there, the Mancio. Right. Mancio, so, and, and that's like where. Yes, and, and so we've got that, but then too, in my father's house are many rooms. Many rooms, right. We're, we're all in the same house, so even though it's a mansion, it's a mansion in a mansion. Right. And then we got to understand that when we understand Audio Adrenaline's big, big house. Right. <laughs> you know, and I mean, some of these people wrap these things in here. We can play football. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, and they didn't know. I wonder, did were, were they that theologically up when they wrote the song to understand? You know, one guy saying seventy-five acres if thirty billion people inhabit this, right. and one yeah. guy. But here's another thing that keep that has. I, I'm still a little hesitant. I haven't fully felt this one out, but over and over I've heard that in these dimensions, even though it's cubic, it is equivalent in size to the moon wow so god's creating a new heavens and a new earth and there doesn't need to be a moon there so the thing becomes is new jerusalem the moon and the sun to the earth wow. so i'm um, again we're we have a, i mean we're beyond what we normally think of and where god builds his habitation with men but those of us who will be privileged, and not everyone will be privileged, we'll hear about some of that, not everyone will be privileged to come and go out of the new Jerusalem, and I think that is those who have been equipped with this new body to dwell in, not this new body, that new body, I haven't got it yet. Uh, Lord knows I haven't got it yet. But <laughs> we'll be equipped to dwell with him and in his presence we get to it, and this is the verse that I got hung on. Um, uh -oh, which one? 24. And so other people have got hung on this one, so I didn't feel bad. And it says, And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. I'll go ahead and read the rest of the chapter. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day, so God never shuts his grace off. God never shuts his light off. He never shuts his love off. God never gets tired. He is the source that never runs out. There shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations in it. But there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie. And that right there, I just had to pause. Because we live in a world where there are lies constantly around us. We have an enemy constantly whispering lies to our minds. It's the battle we face daily. Can you imagine the peace 
that we will have to live in a place where there, you will never again have to go. Are they making that up? <laughs> Is that accurate? Is that, I mean, can you imagine the peace? If somebody comes up and tells you, the dog ate my homework, you know the dog ate their homework. I mean, God, there will be no lie. What a relief. I'm a manager, so that would be awesome, you know. <laughs> well, it would be wonderful if I could talk to people and I could get a response and there was no lie. <laughs> but only those who are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So that's where I said earlier, and those with the Lamb's Book of Life, we know that we have been transformed prior to the millennium. So now we got a question when we go back to verse 24. Who are the nations? Yeah. So the question that I asked, and I even asked it and tried to do a little bit of a search, and I've been through, yeah, I ought to say a dozen commentators, but I don't know if I've been through a dozen commentators myself. Uh, but the commentators that I have read have been through enough there's no agreement here in a lot of the commentators. The one thing that has resounded, so let me start from what has resounded for me so that I understand it because it goes back to the pearls. Because there starts that transition and finally one of them, and I kind of had that witness when I heard it, what are these nations? Well, nations virtually always refers to Gentiles. And so, and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. Well, we read that and go, okay, cool. But now put yourself in a first century Jewish person when this was written where there was very few Gentiles in the church. And as a Jew, you read this line, and the nations of those who were saved, hold it. How did the nations get saved? Remember Acts 15, which was ahead of this time. But there was still, Paul was fighting these people. It was Paul's ministry to fight these people who said the Gentiles must become Jews before they become Christians. Well, now here is John seeing this and saying the nations of those who were saved is immediately God going, guys, they don't have to become Jews. And so now we've had all of this about Israel. Now God is reaching out of eternity and speaking backwards to say, hey, gang, you are my people, whether you're Jew or Gentile. Uh, Paul had it right. I'm showing John that he had it right. And still, that resonates with me. I get it. Okay, I got it. I got, I got you're not just talking to the Jews. You're talking to the Gentiles. And I still got a question that I can't answer. Will there be human beings who are not transformed in the new heavens and the new earth? So I had always assumed that, but I can't find it here in the book of Revelation. I can find them for the millennium, but what happened, so we know at the end of the millennium that the enemy was let loose, I'm back in chapter 20, that the enemy's let loose and it just this massive number of people after Jesus ruled for a thousand years have all opposed Jesus, are there some of those that are left? And if they are, I see the great white throne judgment. And at the great white throne judgment, if their names are written in the book of life, they're obviously invited into the new heaven and the new earth. But what I can't answer is, 
are they transformed into the resurrected a resurrected body like Jesus or do they remain human because I've got the verses when we see him we shall be like him these people are going to see him but they've been seeing him for a thousand years and they weren't transformed And that's very well possible. And that's one of those things that we think of is because God created humanity to have dominion over the earth. Right. I mean, and so keep that in mind because as we get to the end of chapter 22, we're going to go back to the beginning of the book. Right. Because what about this whole number 12? And I know I'm going to leave this thing because I'm telling you I don't know. I'll find out when I get there. And it's very well possible, is it possible that there will be human beings who will marry and have children and will populate the earth and they will be nations who bring the glory in. Hey, if God wants to do that, but know that it will be without sin. And, and so one of the things that we'll talk about as we get is we think about the restoration of the Garden of Eden. That's the millennial reign. And God, at the end of that, says, hold on, I got one better than that. And we go to another level, and that's here in the new heavens and the new earth. And we'll just, there I'm going to wait and see, because I know God sometimes uses a word and speaks multiple things out of that word. Is I know he's saying, he's saying, hey, Gentile, you're going to be there. You're saved. You got it. It's good. But is he also saying, hey, we're going to populate the earth with people who can marry and have children, or no, the earth is going to be headquarters for transformed humanity that not even angels can enjoy. So, uh, I think back to what Jesus said that there will be no marriage in heaven. Right. So, in that context, you're like separating out because you're talking about new heavens and new earth. Right. Right, and I don't know. Because the old has passed away. This is new. We can't comprehend it. Yeah. So it might not even be the plan. Right. In other words, if we take it in that context. I don't know if Clay had a...
talk about where one commentator was very strong about making the point adorned like the bride of Christ and we go back to the whole idea and Missler has a whole separate study on the, on, on the bride and the idea of Jewish wedding that ties into this thing where um, the bride goes to prepare a home I mean, the groom goes to prepare a home for the bride and where, so where I see is, for me, New Jerusalem is that home where the groom and the bride will live, and the bride being the ecclesia, right. being, but we still think in human terms. Right. And if the Gentiles we, are meant to go through that gate, yep. does that mean that some live in, some live out? It's for all who are transformed, right? Exactly. So who knows? It, that's why I'm saying yeah, it's harder where, to make a point and go, this is it. Exactly. I would agree with you because we just think of it very much in material terms, right. not in the terms of it, it, it has something to do with that union of God and people, us dwelling in God and God dwelling in us. Right. And we tend to think of it in more human marital terms when we think of consummation. Right. Uh, and from that, I'm going to jump to the number 12. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> because here in Revelation uh, 21, we just got 12, 12, 12. And I went through several different cases. This fella here, just as a disclaimer, uh, I think the church, the, the Brethren Church is kind of okay. So the guy that wrote this is actually part of the Brethren Church. So that just gives you an idea. I like to know the person who writes things that I read, what is their source. Right. 
Uh, so he's a pastor of the Mulvane Brethren Church in Kansas. So I think he does a pretty good job, and I'm going to read his article instead of trying to muddle through it on my own. You'll find the number 12 used in 187 places in the Bible, and there are some significances to this number as we will read. The number 12 seems to be very important to God, and it represents, in most cases, the number of perfection and authority. The number 12 shows up in the book of Revelation 22 times and are very important in that book, particularly in the New Jerusalem. Here, here are the significances that are associated with the number 12. 12, the number of completeness. There were 12 tribes in Israel, and this symbolizes the completeness of the nation Israel. Jacob had 12 sons, which were the heads or fathers of each of the 12 tribes of Israel, which are likened to 12 princes. Uh, and I'm just going to jump down. Do, 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 do. Other significances of the number 12. Jesus chose 12 disciples who later became the 12 apostles. They're mentioned in the New Jerusalem. They are the foundation, those stones, each one representing an apostle, which seem to fit the context of the number 12 used elsewhere in the Bible as this number also signified governmental rule or authority. The betrayer, Judas, was replaced by Matthias, and he quotes from Acts. The new Jerusalem, which descends out of heaven, has 12 gates made of pearl, which are manned by 12 angels. Each of the gates has been named after one of the 12 tribes of Israel. In Revelation 7, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel will be saved near the end of the present world, or 144,000. The walls of the New Jerusalem are measured at 144 cubits high, which is 12 multiplied. The new city is also 12,000 furlongs squared, so that's 12 by 12. Uh, there are 12 precious stones that will be used as the foundation of the New Jerusalem. The wall of the city had 12 foundations with the 12 names of the apostles on each one. 12,000 will be taken from the earth so that they may serve the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. We talked about that in Revelation 14. That was the <clears throat> 144,000. Um, the high priest breastplate had 12 precious stones embedded with them. Jesus' uh, first recorded words at, were spoken at the age of 12. There was even a woman who suffered from a blood hemorrhage <coughs> for 12 years. There are 12 minor prophets in the Old Testament. They're called minor not because they're less important, but due to the size of their books. There are 12 historical books in the Bible. There were 12 loaves of permanent offerings on the golden table. There were 12 explorers or spies sent into the land of Canaan. Solomon had 12 administrators in his kingdom. There were 12 men who laid 12 stones in building a monument to the Lord. That was in Joshua. When they came in, the book of Chronicles contained 12 priests. 12 curses were indicated for disobedience in Israel back in Deuteronomy 27. A young Israelite male took 12 years before he could be admitted as a son of the law. There were 12 sacrifices of animals that were to be given. And he goes on his conclusion, There are many other significances tied to the number 12 that are too numerous to mention in one article. But suffice it to say that God prescribed this number to have meaning and purpose of which were governmental authority, a completeness or perfection, and authority, he says, given to mankind by God. 
if there is one that seems to be missing, and he says, add it to the quote below. For those who see God as having no significance in their life, they will see it someday, but then it will be too late. Daniel 12, 2. There is only one of two places that a person can go to. One is heaven and one is hell. You have a choice. And that's how he wraps up his article. But we see the number 12. We think about the number 7. So I'm going to jump back in here as we are in... What about this number 12 then, understanding this governmental authority? What we see now is New Jerusalem represents a perfected and a complete rule of God over the heavens and the earth. And I, I just think that's wonderful to see. We're talking about consummation. These things are filled up and they are at their fulfillment. Right. Moving now, Revelation 22. And before I go fully into Revelation 22, and I don't know why Guzik did it, I'm going to use some cross references. I want to jump back to Isaiah 65, and I'm going to start reading in Isaiah 65:17. I'm not going to try to do a whole lot of exegesis on this. I just want you to hear. Um, what God was saying in the Old Testament through the prophet Isaiah about the world to come. Isaiah 65, starting in verse 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. The former shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem as a rejoicing in her people a joy. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. The voice of weeping shall no longer be heard in her, nor the voice of crying. So this one kind of is interesting. Verse 20, No more shall an infant from there live but a few days, nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days. For the child shall die 100 years old, but the sinner being 100 years old shall be accursed. Something seems off about that line not going to dig deep into it it does ask me is makes me ask is this talking about the millennium or the new heaven and the new earth the context seems to be the new heaven and the new earth but there can't be any death there so again when we go back to the prophecies so i think we have jumped there and we're talking now about the millennial reign they shall build houses and inhabit them they shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit they shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree, so shall be the days of my people. And my elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain nor bring forth, nor bring forth children for trouble. For they shall be descendants of the blessed of the Lord and their offspring with them. And it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. And dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt nor destroy. And all my holy mountain says the Lord. So we got that prophecy in Isaiah that almost moves from eternity to me back into the millennium. And it's just real interesting to hear <coughs> um, those prophecies as we get into it uh, back and the other one that I do want to get to uh -oh, commentary come here is 2nd Peter 
because we're triangulating, we're hearing, we've heard it from Peter, we've heard it from John, we've heard it from Isaiah. Uh, just going to read Second Peter chapter 3, 1 through 13. Beloved, I now write to you the second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, Isaiah, <laughs> and so forth, and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, so this is one of the questions that constantly comes up. Knowing this first, so before the other things happen, first, that scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in water. That's going to become important. If you're already in chapter 21, you're going, uh-oh, the new, new earth has no sea. The first earth was created from water uh, by which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water. No. Aha. Uh -huh. Just made a connection. You've got all these 12 stones. You've got the spectrum of light, a rainbow. The rainbow is a promise that never again would God destroy human life by a flood. The new earth won't even have a sea to flood. So you've got the new Jerusalem just as a, this signifying by that, in, in a sense, a rainbow that from the earth, if, you're, if, if it doesn't rest on the earth, but people from a planet are looking up and seeing New Jerusalem, they see a continual rainbow reminder of God's promise. And I, don't know, I just like that. I just, just to see that when, when God said something, he keeps his word. <laughs> um, but the heavens of the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. So Peter's telling us, and he's got the references, this, this earth, heavens and earth, he says, preserved for fire. So when God appears, when God pops out of the dimensional plane where his throne is currently at into our dimensions, his holiness will be like a fire that purges everything. Therefore, a new heavens and a new earth must be created because the old had sin and was touched by sin. The new will never be touched by sin. Uh, the Lord is not, but beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. So I think Pastor Chuck was kind of cracking a joke when he was mentioned in his commentary, and he said, Really? It's not even been two days since Jesus left. <laughs> so we think of things from our perspective, but again, our perspective is not God's perspective. For us, it's been thousands of years. In God's perspective of eternity, even it, I mean, it still hasn't been 2,000 years. Two days haven't passed. Using, I know you're not being strict and very literal about this. But, but it's kind of that point of reference from God's perspective. Two days haven't even passed.
But I, uh, when I was younger in high school, I used to joke that uh, we'll, we'll know when Jesus is coming back. We won't know the day or the hour, but we'll have an idea because if he rose on the third day, uh, at the beginning of the third day, actually, then as the third day appears, may very well have some cross-reference in there. I, 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 I don't, <laughs> it's not as big a deal to me anymore. Right. But back then, you know, numbers yeah. and stuff like that, it meant something. So, you know, I was like, man, dude, after 2,000 years, and that's where we, you know, we touched the third on day, it. You know? Yeah, we won't know the day or the hour. Right. But we're knowing that the times are getting close because that's what Peter told us to be aware of. Watch for when the times are getting close. Jesus told us, remember the parable of the ten virgins? Five were prepared, they kept their lamps filled, five weren't. So we've got to constantly be prepared. Why? Second Peter 3.10 But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. So he's connecting all of these things together. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. So there you go, talking about a recreation of the periodic table. Yes. Mixing or joining what the pastor's message was today from Paul, mm -hmm. uh, which Philippians is truly a book of, or a letter of joy, but it's also filled with commands. And this shows us dangers of not being ready, right. not being righteous. Okay, and it's God who makes us righteous. We can't yep. make ourselves mm -hmm. righteous. However, I just see that this day and age, it is so dangerous that there are so many Christian movements yep. Yep. that just live by the concept of grace. Uh, I I think I mentioned this before. I've heard churches say Jesus plus nothing. That's what it takes to get into heaven. Jesus plus oh, nothing. Okay. No, no, no. Cheap grace. Yes. I know what yeah. you're saying. Yeah. And you're like, the last thing Jesus said before he left the planet was, Obey my commands. Right. Exactly. Why? Yeah. If you can do anything you want. There's a lack of fear of God. Yes. There is a lack of fear of God. Yes. They've taken advantage of His grace. Mm -hmm. And as we all have at times. I have. We're, yes. guilty. We're all guilty. Yeah. Yeah. We're all guilty. But there is in the in the in a lot of the movements that are happening now. There's. It's oh it. it, it I can say this because that's where we've come out of. Right. And that there's no fear of God. It's all about have a relationship with Jesus and He loves and you. And the experience. Right. Yes. There's yeah. no there's no calling out of sin. No accountability. There's no accountability. There's no discipleship. There's no discipleship. There's no accountability. There's there's no bad news. No bad news. And if you don't have bad news, <laughs> oh, you don't no know what the good news <laughs> right. is. 
Amen. Right. <laughs> I mean, what, two-thirds of the book is the Old Testament and the law before we get to... Right, the good stuff. <laughs> right, the good stuff. We're sinners. Exactly. I mean, that's the whole purpose of the law is to be the school teacher. To show yes. us that we are not righteous and can't be righteous right. in ourselves. No. We get to verse 13. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, not us, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And it can only be, I mean, we just read that verse out of chapter 21 that said the cowardly and the liars and this whole litany of people who live like this and choose to live like this, they're not going to make it. And right. so so you, we often don't focus on it in hoping of the people we're talking to have chosen to say, hey, I might slip and trip and fall in the mud, but I'm going to get cleaned up and let Jesus wash me off. Right. But we kind of had a thing happen and this past week at a company thing where... Um, Let's make sure our witness always matches as best we can because we're, we're imperfect. But we, being in a state institution, we actually ran into a thing where uh, three or four years ago we had a luncheon, a, a, a cookout for our employees, and the director at the time looked at another fellow who everybody there knows works in the ministry and is a pastor, and he said, Mike, uh, say a prayer for everyone. So Mike prayed exactly like he was praying at church. Somebody reported it to HR that we were proselytizing, and it, it became a whole big issue, and now the, our associate VP, who has a firm background but also is very aware of how these things go. So we had this really odd moment again at a cookout where we're like uh, one, of, one of the supervisors popped and said, hey, uh, we're gonna. Do we want to say grace before we have a meal in the vapor? Whoa, 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 whoa! And I was trying to counsel him. There's a way to do this. Every say ever. Well, that. But I, I, I did have one guy who was a politician. He's currently a senator now. He was very good about it. Well, yeah, but uh, he's also a senator. <laughs> but uh, he was very careful in public when he would do it as a politician. He would say. Let's return thanks for the meal. Uh, you thank whomever you're thankful for for this, and you can join me if you would like as I say thanks to my God and Savior. Well, that's the, it's that subtle because he said my God and Savior. He didn't say our God and Savior. And when you say our God and Savior in a public institution, then you are proselytizing because you are, so it's that, so the world splits hairs to that level. But here's the other issue. The, the person that made this comment this time, and I hope they ain't watching, but uh, is the same fellow who will lose his temper and go into a profanity-laced tirade, wow. will sit around and tell stories about traveling to Holland and visiting the red light district, but then got mad because we didn't pray before lunch. So as Christians, we also have that culture here in the South, especially where Christianity is a cultural 
thing, not not a true spiritual change of heart thing. So we need to, we're going to a city in which righteousness dwells. <laughs> you and and what what does it mean to be righteous? I'm just curious, what do y'all how do y'all break down? And then I'll tell you how I break down what it means to be righteous. What what does it mean to anybody want to give a stab at what and I, I mean I ain't saying you're gonna be wrong. It could be right for you. What what does it mean to you to be righteous? Okay, and, and that is the strict definition to be in right standing with God. How are we in right standing with God? Okay, if, if we did not have Jesus to make us in right standing, how could we be in right standing with God? Yes. Right. Right. Then you're still not. Jesus was because he he did not have he he was by supernatural creation was born without that taint of original sin, and it said that he lived and he he was righteous. Why? He pleased God, and so I like that term of because we think about righteous and one of the things you you came out of a church area with cheap grace all about experience. My background had the experience and also had the legalism. So that was part of my background, and I worry because when people talk about righteous, it's code word for are you keeping the traditions of the church? You know, I mean, honestly, I was told as a pastor, I showed up for a Wednesday night thing. I may have told you all before, showed up for a Wednesday night thing, and the senior pastor was there, and he grabbed me and pulled me to the side, and he said, I just want you to know you're not doing what's right. I'm like, what are you talking about? Because I'm like, man, I didn't even lose my temper driving here tonight. What's going on? Uh, he said, you are wearing blue jeans. You're, you're a pastor. You can't wear blue jeans. Are you kidding? Jesus wore serpent. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's, you know, we're talking about disrespect at graduation. Yesterday we had a kid come across the stage, and, and somebody else said it before I could. They said, that, that boy's wearing shorts and Jesus shoes. I mean, because, you know, we talk about, and the culture knows that. But again, so we have to be careful of the legalism. We've got to be careful of the, uh, the, the cheap grace. So for me, all right, for me it is, how do we get to that level? It's, do you desire to please God? You know, and it's kind of that old saying, and I thought it was pretty good, and a lot of people evidently like it. But what would Jesus do? And I thought it was good. If you take the right connotation with it, a lot of people, world loves to make fun of that WWJD. But the whole kind of the whole thing behind that was Jesus always lived to please God. So what would Jesus do in this situation? How would he live in this situation in a way that pleased God? And the thing should be trying to figure out to imitate the master in this situation. How can I handle this situation and do it in a way that pleases God? And I think that's something that's really missing. Yes. Because thinking about another situation is we, we had an issue with somebody one time and we have some pretty strong convictions about our home and how we want it to be run. You know? Yep.
right. <laughs> Why? And, and that. If I brought my husband a gift. Yep. And I knew he hated chocolate. Yep. I thought I brought chocolate, but it tastes like this. And I bring him all this chocolate, and he goes, I, I don't like that. I don't want it in my house. I thought, but I love you. It's my right, heart. Right, right, yes. Yeah. You know, and it's, we don't have, we, people don't care about what God thinks. And that's exactly. <laughs> it, it's funny you say that, uh, if you don't mind. There's a. Yearly, I see the same meme that makes me crack up, but it's it, it it's sad that it's true. Um, it's about Halloween. It says, you know, right. remember kids, don't ever talk to strangers. Don't accept, candy. you know, candy from strangers. Don't go to strangers' houses except for the day that we worship the devil. Right. So. And that's funny to me because I, I come, so I'm, I'm not as far there. Tracy and I don't have children anyway, right. so we do a little bit of things, but we don't do a whole lot yeah. for those. And I understand the origins, right. but uh, a few years back, before we even here, I did teach, I think it was a two-parter Sunday on uh, Halloween, and the origins of Halloween and sewing, and... Uh, Sam Hain. Yes. And of all the videos we have out on the web, it's one of the only ones that's ever got a response. <laughs> because, I mean, it, it was just was like... It positive or negative? I can't remember. Maybe Rob can. But where am I, I, I did try to respond. Okay, it was positive. But it was interesting because it, it's, I mean, it's like you say. In fact, I got in trouble. Just like you're talking about. Y'all talking about getting in trouble? <laughs> We had a fall festival at church, and it was right back in the time where I had, you know, I was over with my backsliding the way I was sliding. I was coming to church, getting back into church. We had a fall festival. Yeah, and so so we're there, and uh, and there was nothing about costume, and it was the kids could dress up uh, like Bible characters. Right. So we look up, and this one this one woman in the church comes in dressed as the devil, the the horns of the pitchfork and the red sail, and I can't remember exactly what I said, but uh, now, but she came up and was talking to Tracy and I, and, and I made the comment something, some comment relating to the attire she was in. Yeah, I don't think she ever spoke to me again. Right. It was. <laughs> Look, I know the devil was in the Bible, but... But, I mean, it was kind of like, you know, the comments you had there about about the devil's holiday. And, and it, I learned real quickly, uh-oh, sometimes you can swing that sort of truth and it will cut a little, maybe a little more than you meant. Uh, so remember, I keep going back to this thing about there was no sea in chapter 21. So how do we start Revelation 22? And I really kind of ask, when you think about it, could could we imagine, what is the whole thing? So we've got all of our evolutionary science. And if you keep up with it, I'm fascinated. I, I, I'm just waiting for uh, all our... I, my, my weird thing is people ask me and they're astounded. They say, so do you believe that there's intelligent life in the universe other than the earth? I'll be honest and I'll go on record. No, I don't. 
ain't convinced there's intelligent life. Do I believe that there is? Well, that's true. Uh, do, do I believe, and, and I will say conditionally, if there is, they would have been created, God would have created them in Garden of Eden state, and if they ever made contact with us, then they would be polluted. Then we got this whole other thing to unravel of if that were to happen and so on and so forth. Yes, I, I very, very much believe that. <laughs> I mean, it's true. If you, if you haven't, I do highly, if you, I, I'm sorry I like Chuck Messler's stuff because he's got like a rocket engineer's brain. If you haven't gone through his series on angels, uh, I highly recommend it because he makes some of these connections of these, they're not extraterrestrial, they're extra dimensional beings. And that's what we see is their reaction. But so all of natural science or evol evolutionary science, what do they say is the, why are we spending billions of dollars to have little robots go all over Mars? What are we looking for? Go deeper. Bingo. If you notice, everything, what do they get all excited about? They think, they think they have found water in a crater on the moon. And science will say we cannot inhabit another planet until we can figure out how to unlock the water on that planet and make it usable. Yeah. And so if we get there, we have to, right. we have to, have to get, get back. back. And that's the and other part of it. If we find water anywhere, we can then turn it into Yep, and that's a good point. But, but, yes, but looking for life so that... anywhere. Right. Well, that we know. Again, the that scientists will say, well, so, well, that we know. So, so the, the whole theory of evolution would fail if the Earth didn't have what? Water. Water. If it didn't have a sea, the whole theory of evolution would fail. The new heaven and the new earth, the new earth is not going to have what? A sea. Because the, right, the whole thing was, remember, evolution says that there was this sea that was filled with all kinds of minerals and elements and lightning struck it and it created life. I thought that was a book called Frankenstein. Yes. But that's the theory of evolution. Right, I mean... <laughs> right. This sounds more reasonable than there's nothing than nothing. Right. <laughs> Into everything. Into everything. Mm-hmm.
Okay, so information, DNA, I want to jump track, then we'll get back on track right quick, because we got a programmer here, and Chuck Missler was the fellow that said that life, first person I really had heard mention that, that life as we know it may very well be a simulation or a computer program. You write programs, you're not always fast, as writing the whole program of the heavens and the earth in seven days. Uh, but a program can be written very quickly. And if you have a program running, and if you're better than Microsoft and going to perform an upgrade, how long does it take to do the upgrade? Well, you do, or what's the process of doing a computer? Uh huh. Right. If it's a desktop application, you're looking at shutting it down, um, doing your install, which may uninstall the old one, yep. and then reinstall the new one. Again. Yep. And but regardless, each individual piece, it has to get shut down, um, uninstalled, reinstalled, and then loaded back up. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he did it through a seven-day period. By the way, the number 12... You've got three, the number of the Trinity, and then you've got number four. Three times four is 12. Number four is the number of creation. And that's the way they phrase it together. So you've got God as creator makes 12, who is the complete and perfect governmental authority over all of creation. Or God's laughing at us for using numbers. At all, right. <laughs> but he, he does have those. But so... He, so... <laughs> right. He's going, man, they're making a whole lot of, to do about a coincidence. Uh, <laughs> and it could be. But Revelation 21, how many days does it take God to create the new heavens and the new earth? It may be. Because it says he appears and the old is passed away with fire and the new is there. So, you know, it's not a hard thing for me to think if God wants to do it in six days, not seven, he rested on the seventh. Somebody pointed out recently and reminded me. Uh, but here comes God in with the new heavens and the day of the Lord here spoken of where the heavens and the earth pass away in the new one. It's just a boom, a reboot. Right. So I can take a year to write the code. Yep. So how long has he been writing this code? That's what, that's, that's, think about it. That's the part where Jesus said, go off to prepare a place. That's the building of the code. <laughs> when he appears, it's the deployment. Yep, right. And so I go to prepare a place for you. So depending on your take, God's been writing, Jesus has been writing this code either 2,000 years or not quite wow. two days. That's what Clay <laughs> kicked back. I mean, isn't that awesome to yes, think? Outside, yeah, well. Uh, yeah, we got a Missler fan here. Now we're. When you go back to the computer. When you go back to the computer. Sorry. Oh, you're all right. Don't, don't rebuke me later. Yeah. But the, when you go back to the computer, back to this point about eternity, the computer's time concept is unaware of my time concept of my building of something. I can take a program and run it multiple times, 
From that computer's point of view and that program point, each of those times is a standalone time frame. So if my program runs in a loop or runs something for like two minutes, when I run it again, it is unaware of the previous iterations, the previous time points, because it's its own little bubble. Yep. So time is a little bubble of a run of what God created in eternity from behind the scenes. He can rewrite back here and then redeploy, yep. and it's oblivious to what's going on. They're separate. Isn't it beautiful how God can use the things that we're learning? By the way, this past week I read an article by evolutionary scientists that said, all of this may just be a hologram. <laughs> you know, so if it's just a hologram, then whoever is projecting the hologram, the source can turn it off and back on as quickly as he wants to. Yeah, <laughs> right. It's a very convincing hologram. Let's jump into chapter 22. And he showed me a pure river of water of life. That's awesome. I, I, we could take probably days to unravel just that, and I won't. Hey, I've got the water. Yeah, now we've got the water in the new. Uh, and what's so funny, because I caught it out of the corner of my eye, and I thought it said spewed, not shoot. <laughs> Is that a no? Okay. And he showed me, that's why New King James. <laughs> he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Again, Jesus, El Shaddai, is the source. The source of life is God. There's no temple, but there is a throne there because now we're talking about complete and perfect governmental authority. In the middle of its street, on either side of the river, was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. What are we going to be doing for the rest of eternity? Serving God. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. And I can't help but think when I get to this thing, remember Moses, the only man who ever saw God's face and lived, but even God said, you can't see me face to face, just my glory as it passes by. He came down off of the mountain. His face was shining. So his forehead was marked with the glory of God. So think about what if in this new body, if this new body, the substance of it is light, what is the energy source? Right now the energy source for this dirt body is dirt. I mean, if you just break it down into organics, we're in an organic body. We have to have plant matter or animal matter that takes dirt and sunlight and water and mixes it together to feed this thing that is carbon. Carbon, yeah. we got to have yep. carbon. So yeah, have delicious carbon. But now our... <laughs> yeah, I'd like, like a little extra carbon with yeah, the carbon. <laughs> well, how come it is we don't like our meat chart? Burnt. When we actually turn it back to carbon. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, my mind. I digress. <laughs> but he, here we are. This there you go. This this new body, uh, this new body. I I believe, and we go different ways. And I'm okay if you don't agree. But I believe the new body will be instead of dirt, it will be light. So, if dirt feeds dirt to live, 
if we're light, how will we have the energy to continue to serve God is by being in the presence of God, who is the source of it all. So we will be utterly dependent on him. And it, something along that line of where he is in the light and we will be in the light and as we're in the light, I can just see this relationship where we can go across, I'm going to use a weird term, the multiverse if he wants us to do the multiverse. He can dispatch us to all points in the multiverse, but we will always be connected to him as our source. And, and, and that's just where I see these things and I get excited about understanding it. Now to when I was a child, train up a child in the way you should go and will not depart from, from it. As a child, people were reading Revelation 22 to me. And I can remember asking mom, I said, Mom, you mean heaven's going to have a river in it? And then she reminded me of this before. She, and she's like, yeah. And I said, does that mean we get to go fishing? <laughs> and that was just as simple as a child thought. And she was like, I don't know how to answer that. Do I answer him that we can fish in heaven? <laughs> if it's yeah, and a thousand-year reign, and, and we could get to, and I'm not going to take the time today, but if you want to hear about a river that imitates this, go to Ezekiel 47, and you will hear about the river in the millennial reign that comes from the temple that is the imitation of this river of life that comes in a new heaven and a new earth. Yeah, y'all want me to turn to it? Well, I was trying to think of where that was. Okay. Yeah. Let's read it. Let's... Ezekiel 47, 1 through 9. Ezekiel 47, okay. uh, verses 1 through 9. Then he brought me back to the door of the temple, and there was water flowing from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the front of the temple faced east. The water was flowing from under the right side of the temple south of the altar. He brought me out by way of the north gate and led me around on the outside to the outer gateway that faces east, and there was water running on the right side. And when the man went out to the east with the line in his hand, he measured 1,000 cubits. And he brought me through the waters. The waters, water came up to my ankles. Again, he measured 1,000 and brought me through the waters, and the water came up to my knees. And he measured 1,000 and brought me through, and the water came up to my waist. Again, he measured 1,000, and it was a river that I could not cross, for the water was too deep water in which one must swim, a river that could not be crossed. He said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? Then he brought me and returned me to the bank of the river. When I returned there along the bank of the river were very many trees on one side and the other. Then he said to me, This water flows toward the eastern region, goes down into the valley, and enters the sea. When it reaches the sea, its waters are healed, the sea there being the Dead Sea. So in the millennial rain, water is coming out of the temple, will, will flow into the Dead Sea and actually bring life to what is dead. What a beautiful, beautiful image of what life is going to be like in Christ's rule. Um,
Yes. So this becomes the. Yes. Wow. There you go. And its waters are healed. Verse nine, and it shall be that every living thing that moves wherever the river rivers go will live. There will be a very great multitude of fish. So fishing, because these waters go there, for they will be healed, and everything will live wherever the river goes. I mean, you know, the man of fallen was was a fisher. You know, he he. So it's cool. I can hopefully get to go fishing in the millennium. What is that going to be like in a resurrected body? Will I just wait out there and grab what I want, or will I actually? Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. She's. No, would probably come out of the the Golden Gate. Yeah. Out of the temple, through the Golden Gate, down through the Jezreel Valley, and then going into basically the Judean Desert. Right. There is, I mean, when there, when I tell you there's, it's, well. It's a desert. It's a desert, yes. It is a desert, and it's rocky, and there's mountains. And yes. It's going to be good fishing. But to be able to carve through there to go yes. to. And so what the commentators say is that this will split. And I didn't catch it right there because uh, it says that the waters go in the valley and enters the sea. When it reaches, I only see one. One commentator said it actually will split and one will go to the Dead Sea, the other will go to the Mediterranean. My notes here okay. with the, that have that the subsequent, the Vulgate, and the Entailer, well, that reads the two rivers flow. So it's right. from the, from the older, older text that it's got the two rivers. Right, and that's where, so there, I mean, just like what you're saying, if you hit the Mediterranean, you hit the Dead Sea, now you're going back and healing the waters that were plagued during the judgments. You see a restoration in the millennium reign. If that river will do that, imagine, I mean, we talk about water being life, but can you imagine life being water? And that's what we're talking about in Revelation 21, where life is water and that's what's flowing from the throne of God and that is just awesome and, and, and notice in the millennial reign it said trees in the new heavens and the new earth it said was the tree of life you got a river of life and it's a pure river of water of life and the tree of life and you've got the twelve roots and again, this is one of those things that commentators start butting heads about. You try to look there at Jerusalem. I can see the Dead Sea is boom right there. And you can almost see that valley if that river were to flow west, east, east and west. Or I get, oh, yeah. You're right. You can see where it would come out, split, go to the Dead Sea and go to the Mediterranean Sea and the waters would be healed. You know it would be awesome yeah, it's a pretty big think, river. When you think yeah, about the, the, the topography that it's describing, it's very similar to the Garden of Eden's topography. Yes, millennial rain. Yes. So the millennial rain will be the restoration of the Garden of Eden here on earth. Right. And that's awesome. The other thing that's interesting to think about, too, is the earthquake after the Ezekiel 37, or 38, so 37, 38, and then the earthquake that happens when Yeshua lands on the Mount of Olives. Yep. 
something you truly love to do here on earth it seems like time just flies can you imagine boom exactly I mean your lunch break is the quickest hour of the day and it's true but when you're doing something that you love to do you, you don't notice the passage of time and I think it will very much be that way in heaven where and I mean the fear that is there that a lot of people express of tell me what I'm going to do. We're afraid we're going to be bored. And one one day I would love to search into that because I don't know if animals get bored. It seems like humans get bored. Well, I, well, they true they do, uh, because they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. Because a lot of the dogs, you know, like the husky. I think y'all got the husky. The husky is supposed to be pulling a sled, or being trained to pull a sled. And when it's not, it gets bored. And that's kind of the same way with us as humans. When we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing, we get bored. And I know this is a chimney corner verse because it's probably not even in the Bible. There's something close. But idle hands are the devil's handiwork. Yes. And that's exactly what happens to, to humanity. People who are not engaged in something productive will be doing something destructive. Right. <laughs> that was good. I mean... Yeah. Cultures, the Roman cultures, the Greek cultures, they got to a point where they had too much leisure time. Yep. Yeah. 
and was that Max von Weber? Yes. I mean, I got to say, I told Tracy when we saw Wally, I, I said, man, this movie is eerily predictive of what humanity could be going to. So before we jump there, let's get through chapter 22. It's uh, just to be a, no, this is good. I'm enjoying it. Uh, and that's the problem. Time's passing for me very quickly, and I hope it's passing for you quickly, but it is passing quickly. <laughs> yeah, Revelation 22, verse 6. I'm just going to pick up there. Then he said to me, these words are faithful and true. You know, I haven't done a search. I know that occurred already in chapter 21. These words are faithful and true. I wonder how many times they occur. I'll search it later. But when, when an angelic being, and, and over in chapter, when, when you have God the rev, and giving us the revelation and using it an angel or God, but when it's saying here, these words are faithful and true. It's not a science fiction story. It's not a fantasy. It's not a drama. It's not a parable. It's not an allegory. It's not a metaphor. These words are faithful and true. The Lord God of the Holy Prophet sent his angel, his messenger, to show his servants the things which must shortly take place or shortly be done. We go, hold it. What's all this shortly stuff? So this is that word where we get our word tachometer. Uh, in Greek, the one that's shortly. Uh, and Chuck Missler does a really good job at the start of his thing on because he goes into all the infinite details of this, <laughs> this thing about like a tachometer of what this word, we read it like, and, and so we should read it with expectation. Every one of us as servants of God should live today like it's our last day on earth by serving God. So i got to add that line in. And I blew a guy away because I know he was agnostic, if not atheistic, and I still thought about him this past week, and I prayed and prayed and prayed at work that I could get through to him. I gave him Christian heavy metal. I gave him just over and over trying. But, man, you talk about somebody whose heart was just so hard against Christianity and I did find out that he was partially Jewish and it was just like hmm is that why you have such resistance or what and my heart was just thinking about him this week so again Lord this is I'm still praying that the Lord will touch his heart and bring him to salvation uh, but he, he's one of those that, that's the critic of saying well this has been going on for 2,000 years where is it at Right. Um, but this shortly take place, and he was the one, he was actually about, I'm bouncing around on the job one day doing something, and they asked me a question. I'm like, all right, God, this is the opportunity to really witness. And he said, uh, what would you do if today was your last day on earth? I said, I wouldn't do anything different. I'd live every day like it's my last day on earth because Jesus could come back at any moment. And, boy, he was... Now, I ain't saying I'm perfect at that, and I do make plans and everything, but that's true. I, I try and sometimes I forget, but that should be the nature of us as Christians. We should be living that at any moment the last trump will sound and we exit this place and, 
and it's tough and it should be, and it's not trying to guilt trip people into evangelism. But what I'm saying is if God gives you an opportunity to serve him, take it. Don't put it off. You may not get that chance again. I, I would just like to suggest if you know it's the last day, upsize your combo at lunch. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I got where you're coming from. All right, man. So, yeah. <laughs> Spoil your, spoil your appetite for the wedding feast. <laughs> <laughs> He's thought about this. DC has thought about this. <laughs> so the other part, other side of that is it, it, we could always be living like it's our last minute. But the other thing that is being said here is when all of these things that have been prophesied start taking place, yeah, it's, it's going to be like, unfortunately... Is there any one of us who has been fortunate enough to escape a car wreck? Yes. Thank God. I will, we'll use a different analogy. I haven't. Yeah, Clay's holding back numbers up there. You know, in, in that process, when that car wreck started, it may have felt like a long time, but it was only a matter of seconds, and it was over. That's what's being communicated here. I can say, have you ever slipped and fell? So, you know, it's one of those where halfway down you go, how did I get into this predicament? <laughs> you know? <laughs> but it's only a few seconds, and you're just like, what's happening here? And, and that's the way. So people who are around and hearing this, if they're not servants of Christ, they need to understand, don't wait around for one of these signs to pop up because when it starts popping up, it's going to be like a train wreck and it may be over before you have a chance to respond. So that's the warning message that's being given. Listen, verse 20, verse 7. Behold, this is red letter. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. So again, that thing, I'm coming, you know, when a thief comes in the night, when the bridegroom comes, you better be prepared, you better be ready. Verse 8, now I, John, saw and heard these things, and when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. And I can understand that response. It's overwhelming. Then he said to me, see that you do not do that. By the way, just sorry, my brain popped this up. i got to say it. It's okay to be slain in the spirit if you're worshiping God, but don't fall down at the feet of a man. And I'm meddling and I'm moving on. Uh, just there was a note that popped in my head not sure why uh, because it's a whole different argument but let me move on because I could meddle then he said to me see that you do not do that so this should be the response by the way of a man when it's perceived and uh, anyway for I, I am your fellow servant and your brethren and of your brethren the prophets and those who keep the words of this book worship God. Don't know if you've ever been in that spot. And I have. And by the way, I do believe it's possible for a person to be over. I don't know why I'm going here. I'm here. Uh, <laughs> I do believe it's possible for a person to be overwhelmed by the presence of God that you fall before God and worship God. I also believe like teenage girls fell out at a Beatles concert 
that there is emotionalism that occurs. And in fact, when I was going through the ministry internship, we went to a thing, they had us all there, and I still remember clearly, and this is where part of the disconnect started happening. They had us all come down and work the altar, and that was the big thing, and I'm still trying to get used to how we, uh, uh, because I was trained to work an altar. Uh, so we were there, and the people were coming down to the altar, and the thing was we'd always lay hands on people, we'd pray for them. And I still believed in not just slapping somebody on the head, but saying, what do you need prayer for? Sorry, pray with understanding uh, kind of thing. So I'm there, and I remember, and Tracy was in the seat. No, and I'm coming up, and uh, I'm there, and I'm getting ready to pray. I th I'm pretty sure it was a young lady. And as I, I, I went to minister to her, she just, what in the world is this? And I remember, you know, God was kind of checking me in this because here was this thing of like this rock star feeling of, wow, they're just, and I've heard guys talk about, I'm so anointed and, whew, and three rows fell out in front of, who, who are they worshiping? So here in the book of Revelation, this angel is saying, don't worship me, worship God. And if it's God, amen. Because I've been in that situation where God was working and ministering, and I actually, in that situation, overwhelmed by God, heard his call into ministry, and it's been proven. But I was worshiping God, not the person. I still will never forget the day that a female evangelist stood four steps high, coming down on my head, trying for me to be slain in the spirit. And I went, no, last time I was down, God said, you're not going this way again. He said, next time I'm calling you home. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, that was clear. <laughs> you know, and it was so, and here's this lady, and I'm thinking, hold on now. If me and you talking to the same dude, uh, you might ought to have an understanding. And I'm, I mean, if it had been God, it would have been God, but it wasn't God. Was so, so, yeah. <laughs> and again it, it's it's to the point make sure and it's one of the things i love about calvary chapel that thing we talk about and maybe it for somebody online somebody this past week was asking me about calvary chapel why have you chosen calvary chapel because it's all about jesus if jesus moves on you and knocks you out praise god <laughs> but if it's the preacher, watch out. <laughs> so that's what we're talking about. Don't know why I went down that rabbit trail. We're gonna come back. <laughs> we're gonna come back to here where we're at. Then they gotta go uh. back up and then you pray for for the headache. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or backache. Backache, oh my lord. Uh, okay. So let's go on to verse ten. What, yeah, we got a few more verses. And he said to me, do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. Again, there should always be that urgency. Daniel was told to seal prophecy. John is told, don't seal this. The world needs to hear this and be aware of this. Now this verse is just, whoa. Verse 11, he who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he who is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he who is holy, let him be holy still. 
And I like one of the commentators said, hey, if the book of Revelation doesn't convince you to leave your sinful life and follow God, if you want to wallow in the mud, keep wallowing in the mud. And, and that's, I mean, and it, because the book of Revelation has got the wrath of God and it's got the whole thing broke out for the middle of it's the wrath of God. And then we've got chapter 20, 21, and 22 that is all about the goodness and the grace of God. If you can't see that God is better than this world after going through the book of Revelation, you got a pretty hard heart. And I ain't saying it's some magic book that you can just read, but it would be curious. But then again, it could also be tough to take a sinner through it and watch them reject it at the end of it. So I, so just use that with a precaution there. But how how do we witness two ways? We tell people what Jesus has done for me and absolutely our testimony. And we tell people what Jesus is going to do to recreate the heavens and the earth and, and wipe away the sin and the unrighteousness and the filth. You had a comment. When I looked at that, Yep. I can't be deceived. So if you're filthy, you're filthy. Not, <laughs> you can't hide that from me. I'm going to look right at you, and I see you for what you are. So you mean if I put a fish on the back of my car? That doesn't mean anything. <laughs> so that's what he's saying there. Sorry. The, righteous, the true righteous <laughs> shall be righteous. Right. And, and the reason we say that is I see businesses. And that's the where I see businesses do that. And it's just like, come on. Let's go back to the Ten Commandments where it says, you shall not use my name in vain. Right. We all know GD is bad. Right. But I will tell you, you shall not use my name in vain. There was a shop that opened up in Thomaston that literally named their shop Yahweh's Dress Shop. Oh. And I went, hold it. We already got Chick-fil-A. You are bold enough to do that. And so, sorry, and that, that's kind of that thing. Right. Say that the way you said it one more time. Right. Like everything's going to be true to what it truly is. Yes. So the unrighteous person can't hide it. They can't put a mask in front of God. I like the way you phrased that. And that's the point when we get here. If we get somebody to this point, I would want to use David's point to say, hey, look, Jesus can see right clear through you. If you're playing a game, he knows you're playing a game. Be honest with the truth because he is the truth. Yep. I get true with my heart, and I'm saying, okay, God, here's my actual condition before you. I need your mercy to transform me. The first step is to admit you have a problem. It's true. Yes. Verse 12, and behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. What? Yeah. So, my reward is with me to give everyone according to his work. So, we do not teach that we earn our salvation. However, we do earn rewards in heaven. So that comes back to that cheap grace that says you got it, and you right. boom, you got all the good stuff. Now, we should be working here 
to store up our treasure in heaven where moth and rust does not destroy. We also work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Yes. And that's what he's talking about here. This should be exciting to know because, you know, the stuff where we've messed up is going to be burned away as wood, hay, or stubble. But for the things that we have done out of the pureness, and it could be, wow, okay, got you. It could be as simple as, as yielding and letting somebody get in line in traffic. Maybe, I don't know. It just kind of popped in my head there. Because we do it out of the goodness and charity. Again, it's all of our actions, because God's still working with me on my driving, so it's probably for me. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah. Because the work is not really my work. Exactly. So when I submit to the Holy Spirit and allow him to produce fruit in my life, that's the fruit, that's the work that he's looking for. Exactly. Because he's looking for, uh, he's looking for a return on his investment in me. So the more yielded I am to the Holy Spirit and the more His work is flowing through me, then that's what I'm being repaid for. It's not my work, but my submission to His work in me. Amen. Yep. Amen. And I see Clay back there. One day I'm still working on doing some studies to better understand the rewards in heaven. I don't think we teach about that enough. And it's like you're talking about, we've transitioned from teaching rewards in heaven about how to be blessed here on earth. Well, somewhere it said all of this stuff was going to go boof and vaporize and go away. I'd a whole lot rather be rewarded from Jesus when he's coming back with something that's going to be eternal. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. There's a whole little thing that Chuck Messler goes through if we had time to go through it. If when you get the, you know, the two people up at your door and they're talking about Jehovah's Witness and you can go through Isaiah about I am the first and the last. And then by the time you get them over here to Revelation 22 and it says I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the first and the last. There's one of these in here that says... I, Jesus, and it just makes that connection that, yeah, Jesus is God. That's the national prayer. Yeah. 14, blessed are those who do his commandments. That's what we're talking about with the rewards. We have to do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. But, this is one of those things, even right in the middle of all this good stuff, but, outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. Man, we could unravel that thing for a while. Don't think we have to. This does not mean that there won't be any beagles in heaven. Tracy worries about that. And I'm glad her heart's that pure. Uh, but this thing about dogs is talking about people, humans, who live like a dog who are filthy, and Paul talked about dogs and the mutilators. Uh, it is, is a very impolite term. So we find out that 
uh, as God is making this revelation, he does not think highly of whoever loves and practices a lie. I'm not familiar with that one. Revelation 22:16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you, testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. He absolutely identifies himself throughout all of the Old Testament in that phrase. And the spirit and the bride say, come. So there's the bride again. So now the bride has got a voice. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirst come. Where are you going to get the water? The only place you're going to get the water is the water of life. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. There's grace. So we've talked about earning rewards, but here the water of life is given freely. 22.18 is a famous passage, for I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. Uh, 19, and if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. I would not be part of the Jesus seminar, which is human people sitting around trying to decide which of the words in the Bible Jesus actually said. And so basically what they do, they go, yeah, I, I don't think that Jesus would have said that. We, we just need to scratch that from the Bible. So that literally, so when you hear Jesus' seminar, if you watch History Channel, I hadn't seen him in a long time. John, what is it, John Dominic Croissant, or what, Croissant? I always said Croissant because he's a white-headed little dude. Was, and he's part of the Jesus' seminar, and they put it on there and on the screen. I'm thinking, I turned the channel. I'm like, if this guy thinks that he is better than God and can determine what words that Jesus said, I don't even want to hear him speak. Exactly. And so one of the things they say is this only applies to the book of Revelation. Well, yeah, it does apply to the book of Revelation. But I do find it interesting that God put it at the book that would at the end of the book that would be at the end and basically it correlates with other scriptures throughout his word that says hey my word is my word how do we know so we all know we could go and I'm not going to take the time we're going to wrap it up here in just two or three minutes um, we could go through how we got our modern bible but one of the things the books of the new testament I believe the books of the New Testament are the word of God because they were penned by eyewitnesses of Jesus Christ or someone who an eyewitness dictated to them what they wrote down. So Luke, I don't know that Luke was an eyewitness of Jesus, but he went around and talking to Peter and to Paul and to Mary and the eyewitnesses and as a direct historian wrote it all down based on what he was hearing. I mean, you got John here who is seeing him living with him, and then you got seeing him here. <coughs> these are people, and that's why I believe these are the only books of the New Testament we have. These are the ones that were proven the word of God because they were eyewitness accounts of the life of Jesus, or in this case, 
an eyewitness account of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 20, he who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. That's pretty powerful. Jesus says, Hey, I'm testifying that this is the revelation about me. I'm surely I'm coming quickly. Then I love this one. Even so, come, Lord Jesus, or the first part in Aramaic, Maranatha, Adonai Yeshua. Maranatha, Adonai Yeshua. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. That should be our heart's cry. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. <coughs> Amen. Isn't it amazing that grace ends the New Testament? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Whosoever shall believe shall be saved. Right quickly, I'm trying to find, I want to read one quick thing out of Pastor Chuck's book because uh, he summarizes this whole comparison between Genesis and Revelation. If I can remember where my Kindle app is at. And I've got, oh, come on. Don't lose my place. Here we go. I'm going to read this from Pastor Chuck's book. <coughs> there is a very sharp contrast between the first three chapters of Genesis and the last two chapters of Revelation. Let me list some of these contrasts for you. In Genesis, we read of the beginning of this world. In Revelation, we have the end of it. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, Genesis 1.1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, Revelation 21.1. God called the dry land earth and gathered together, and the gathering together of the waters called he seas, Genesis 1.10. And there was no more sea, Revelation 21.1. The darkness he called night, Genesis 1-5. There shall be no night there, Revelation 21-25. God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night, Genesis 1-16. The city had no need of the sun, neither the moon, Revelation 21-23. In the day that thou eatest thereof of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt surely die, Genesis 2-17. There shall be no more death, Revelation 21.4. I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception pain, Genesis 3.16. Neither shall there be any more pain, Revelation 21.4. Cursed is the ground for thy sake, Genesis 3.17. There shall be no more curse, Revelation 22.3. Satan appears as a deceiver, Genesis 3.1. Satan disappears forever, Revelation 20.10. <laughs> That's right. Man is driven from the tree of life, Genesis 3.22-24. The tree of life is available for all, Revelation 22.2. Man is driven from God's presence, Genesis 3.24. And they shall see his face, Revelation 22.4. Man's first home was by a river, Genesis 2.10. Man's eternal home is by God's river, Revelation 22.1. The final chapter of a book is always exciting because it ties everything together. All the mysteries, meh, the intrigue, and the questions are brought together. 
The answers come to us as God unfolds the beauties of his love and reveals the eternal kingdom that he has planned for those who love him and serve him. What a glorious and blessed time we are looking forward to. Realizing all these things as Jesus said, Surely I come quickly. John naturally responded, Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. And I like Pastor Chuck's last, let's get on with that eternal kingdom. So that wraps up our study uh, through the book of Revelations, finished one. Hallelujah. Uh, <laughs> I am historically bad for not getting <laughs> all the way to the end of something. And praise God, we got through the book of Revelation. Still, if there's any questions that we haven't answered, uh, we'll go and try back to answer them. So that's that's the question. I don't know if we'll answer today. Uh, is where as if a group do we want to continue the Sunday afternoon? I know the ladies are on break, and I think that the group does want to continue a Sunday afternoon study. Uh, Revelation is really deep, uh, and so I'm not sure we need to kind of. When are the ladies officially starting up theirs? Uh, I'm not sure. Okay. So we'll probably take a couple of weeks break. Uh, we do have, if y'all are interested, do we want to try to do that next Sunday or what Sunday? We had the DVD. We had uh, one of the questions I still have, and I wanted I got Chuck Missler's DVD about uh, Gog and Magog. Nice. So I thought instead of me yes. trying to do that, that, he is the expert at that, I thought we would just watch his DVD if that's awesome. okay with Yeah, we have to do it. That player doesn't work on that one. So okay. Room, so we'll we'll head to the sanctuary and watch the DVD. I got a portable. <clears throat> he had one and it didn't pick up. So that's that's our next step. After that, uh, so after that, and, and where do we? Oh, where? Uh, um, do we want to go to another book? And, and Clay threw out Isaiah, which is a difficult book. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> uh, so we got that, or do we have, or, or is there something else? One of the things that if, yeah, and that would be a good one to follow up because it's, it's hard. So we may do that. So we may just throw there into some of the prophets. Ezekiel is an interesting one. So we'll look at that. I like. So if we do the book of Daniel, we're going to do the whole book. Wow. Why not? Or will we focus it? Okay. So that's good. I, I, I hope that would be the Calvary Chapel response, sure. yeah. <laughs> and not just focus on some of the things. One, one through whatever. Okay, I like that. So I'll start putting together some in the break time. Yeah. I will start the study to show myself approved because that's the command that I have to put it together on the book of Daniel. I have different resources, uh, but I'll look more. I'll probably dive into Walbert or some of the others uh, that I trust. <laughs> nice lighthearted book. Yeah, nice lighthearted. So that's good. That's awesome. Uh, we are way over. Sorry that I kept you, but we were trying to finish up. Five minutes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I've got something. Yes. My lovely wife here is learning Hebrew, ah. and something that she brought she wrote down is that for the number twelve is the letter the yud and the bait. 
which mm -hmm. the yud is 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 number ten, Rock. and the bait is number two. The yud means to connect, ah. and in Paleo Hebrew, that the bait means the family or the house. Ah, I like that. Like wow. bait Lahaim, yeah. Bethlehem. So God is oh, connecting wow. his family together. That's awesome. And, that, and that's what revelation we have all of these sevens but we got the twelves that finish up the right. book yeah. that saying God is connecting all of these things together yeah. it's neat you mentioned that this uh, uh, revelation 22 16 which is Jesus speaking uh, uses the different things from the Bible to explain that he is him. Yes. Furthermore, when he says, I am the root and the descendant, mm -hmm. the I am is mm -hmm. the version of the am, mm -hmm. which Absolutely. says that he is, you know, the eternal am. Yes. Mm -hmm. He exists. That is the I am as well. So he's saying that in there, I am. And it, it just this, amazes you know. me. And, and one of the commentators had a really good thing. It's like the what was the pastor out in Los Angeles had the one thing that when you, I mean, you just read it and it still is, and you talk about Christ and he is the bright morning. And he goes yes. through that whole passage. Well, one of the commentators had a really good, and I'm trying to remember if I got it right here, but they were talking about how people, the other thing, you got cheap grace and you have people who try to deny Christ as God. Right. And he went through a whole thing of, and think about it, if you say you don't need Jesus, and New Jerusalem and the end of these two chapters is all about being with Jesus in heaven, if there is no Jesus in heaven, there is no heaven. Right. And he goes through a whole list of things, and I don't really like going through it because I don't, I don't like thinking that way because that is the consummation of our hope is to be with Jesus, right. who is life and light and love. Amen. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Sure. Father, we thank you for your grace and for your mercy. I thank you for your sustenance, your um, because it has been your Holy Spirit all along that has fed me, that I've been able to kind of help point people back to your word in this study of the book of Revelation. Father, not only that, you have been sustainer. You have been provider. Lord, I'm, I'm very much aware that we're going to go out into a, a world and we're going to go back out and it has been wonderful to be here for a little while and to be in the shelter of your family and of your love and to be safe. And now, Lord, we're going back out into the world, but we can go out as victors. We can go out in victory and we can go out in joy because you go with us and the person and the power of your Holy Spirit. We can't do it apart from you. And Jesus, I ask you, as we've gone through the study, don't let us just put the book of Revelation to the side. I pray, Father, that this would inspire us to pick up the book of Revelation and use it as a devotional so that we read the book of Revelation over and over, several times a year, so that we would constantly keep before 
our eyes and in our hearts the consummation of all of these things and the rewards that you have in store for us. Father, I pray that you will bless all of us and that having gone through the book of Revelation, Father, your word is true and faithful, so make your word true and faithful to us and bless us for reading the book of Revelation, but let that blessing be to supercharge us as your as laborers in your field, that we can be fruitful and productive, not for ourselves, but for you. Father, Yahweh, I ask you, put your name upon us, and may, your, may we wear your name so well that you are pleased with us, so that when you see us, you will bless us by smiling on us. And may we please you Father, so that when you look, your face will just beam and say, that is my child. And there you will bless us with your shalom. Be with us, Father. Empower us as we go out into this world of darkness. Let us glow as we go from here, not because of anything except your word and your spirit and because of who you are. In the name of Jesus Christ, Lord, I pray.